Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Yeah, thank you for joining us here today on Agriculture of America, AOA. Happy to be with you. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. We have a very busy show for you here today. A lot to talk about that is impacting agriculture here across the country. Coming up here at the uh, end of the show, segment four today, we're going to talk with Christy Van On. She's with Van On and Company. Get her thoughts and perspective on the markets after the October WASDE report threw us a few surprises. On Thursday, we'll see her thoughts in the uh, market reaction after the report. Coming up in segment three today, we're going to have a conversation with the new president of the National Corn Growers Association, Harold Woolley of Minnesota. We're going to dive into his priorities and some of the challenges he foresees in front of him during his tenure as president of the NCGA. So that's coming up here at the uh, bottom of the hour. We're also going to get the latest results of the September meat demand monitor coming up in segment two with Dr. Glenn Tonsor from Kansas State University. Looking forward to our monthly discussion with him coming up here in just a little bit. Today's program brought to you by Setex Premium Diesel, which comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. You can find your nearest Senex location online at Senex.com. Well, we want to turn our attention to what is happening in Washington, D.C. There has been a lot going on, and here to provide us with the latest, Jerry Hagstrom from the Hagstrom Report joins us on AOA. Jerry, it's great to talk with you again. I hope you're doing well. Well, I'm doing well. I just wish they were doing well on Capitol Hill. But it's a real mess with the Republicans being unable to uh, pick themselves a speaker. There's, I would say, absolutely nothing happening on agriculture on Capitol Hill until uh, the Republicans uh, choose a speaker. And we don't know exactly when that will be. They're meeting again Mm -hmm. today. Uh, but it's uncertain. It is very uncertain, and uh, I'm glad you framed it up that way, Jerry. I know we saw Steve Scalise from Louisiana pulled his name out of the running to be the speaker. He wasn't getting enough support here from his uh, colleagues in the House uh, earlier this week. And uh, to your point, now, uh, where do Republicans turn in the House of Representatives? Who, who could be a viable speaker candidate at this point? Well, the next one they have to consider is Jim Jordan of Ohio, who was the other one who had put himself forward uh, when the Republicans uh, picked Scalise. But it's unclear whether Jordan could get the 217 votes he needs uh, because, for example, he's never voted for a farm bill, and there are a lot of moderate Republicans who wouldn't want to, uh, who wouldn't want to vote for him. Uh, other possibilities include Representative Tom Emmer, of Minnesota. Uh, now, he might be a good choice for agriculture because I think he's sensitive to agriculture issues. Also, Tom Cole of Oklahoma, who chairs the House Appropriations Committee, he's considered a moderate, middle-of-the-road guy. Uh, and finally, there's talk that they might ask Patrick McHenry of North Carolina, who's the acting speaker, um, to, uh, to take the job on a formal basis. Uh, 
so and then finally there's another possibility which is that they'd have to work out a power sharing deal with the democrats in order to get enough democrats to vote for a republican speaker and th and that way the, um they wouldn't have to worry about these eight right-wingers who won't uh who won't vote for the more moderate candidates well, and Jerry, uh, to your points as well here, uh, everything going on just kind of puts a paralysis on Capitol Hill and we can't get anything done. We have appropriations still. We have to figure out a, a farm bill. If there's, uh, we presume, going to be a one-year extension, going to have to be at this point. Uh, there's just, there's a lot going on and uh, the counterparts in the Senate uh, can't really do much of anything either with the House in paralysis at this point, can they? No, the, no. The only the, there's nothing that the Senate can do except confirm people to positions or uh, confirm judges. They can't pass legislation uh, uh, on their own. Uh, and so far, they haven't actually considered the appropriations bill um, in the, uh, the the Senate version of the agricultural appropriations bill. Although that may be that may be coming uh, coming up soon. It just it seems like. Um... There's a lot going on here with uh, with what's happening on Capitol Hill, and a lot of folks in agriculture just kind of have to sit and wait with bated breath to see if, uh, I, I've used this term a couple of times, uh, if we can govern effectively in, in Washington, D.C. right now. Well, that's right. The other things, there's one, a big thing that's going on, of course, is the declaration mm -hmm. of war in Israel and yes. what impact that that, that war uh, is going to have on agricultural markets, uh, as well as the war in in Ukraine and the and Russia's continued to attempts to stop uh, agricultural products from leaving Ukraine. So that's uh, another thing that's going on. Of course, one of the issues with the House being out. Uh, out of power, so to speak, um, is that they can't pass aid to uh, aid to Israel or more aid for uh, Ukraine. So I'd say that's a big uh, a big factor in in what could affect agriculture in the in the coming weeks and months. And, and Jerry, some of that aid to Ukraine has it then that been a bit a sticking point for some folks on Capitol Hill as well? Yes, there are some Republicans. Who don't uh, uh, want to provide more aid to Ukraine? Uh, they think it's, uh, it's, you know, it shouldn't be our concern. But President Biden and the Democrats want to tie aid to Israel and aid to Ukraine together in one bill, and the aid to Israel is very popular uh, mm -hmm. uh, because people see a clear war there in which uh, Hamas has invaded uh, invaded Israel. And so the, there is, a, I think they'll probably try to pull those two together um, uh, as soon as they can. Well, Jerry, before we run out of time, we have about a minute here. Uh, any final thoughts you'd uh, care to share with us and our listeners today? Uh, anything you're watching in D.C. or anything you'd like to reiterate for folks today? Yes. The thing I would say is try to learn about uh, as much as you can about Ozempic and other um, weight-reducing drugs. Um, the uh, rise in the use of Ozempic, uh, which causes people to eat less, is having an impact on some agricultural stocks, particularly snack foods, and also on healthcare stocks because so, much of our, so many of our healthcare problems 
uh, arise from either being overweight or being obese. And so the impact of Ozempic on the future ag markets is something we all need to think about. Man, that's a very interesting thought, something I didn't think about before. I'll have to do some digging on that myself. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Always appreciate the time and insight into what's going on in Capitol Hill. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to you again real soon. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate you and your listeners. Again, Jerry Hagstrom there with the Hagstrom Report joining us on AOA today. All right, coming up next, we're going to learn more about the September meat demand monitor numbers with Dr. Glenn Tonsor from Kansas State University. That's next here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. We'll be back right after this. On the October episode of the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association, we continued our discussion about sustainable aviation fuel. Sarah McKay from National Corn Growers Association talks about some of the work they are doing on the policy side. We work really closely with policymakers to make sure that tax credits that are available are available to help promote corn ethanol to be used for these processes, and in particular, the adoption of the GREAT model as the carbon accounting method to help bring these technologies and, and bring these opportunities closer to the marketplace. Lindsay Bowers with NCGA's Market Development Action Team provides some of the farmer and grain merchandiser perspective to SAF and corn. From farmer and merchandiser point of view, market development is huge and significantly impactful for what it can mean for agriculture. Getting it to the point where it's consistently and reliably used, it's a game changer. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association. It's a show you don't want to miss. Do you know how much one stock of wheat is worth? Well, you're about to find out. Wheat is a member of the grass family that produces a dry, one-seeded fruit commonly called a kernel. There are about 1 million kernels of wheat in a bushel, about 50 kernels per stock, which if we do the math is about 20,000 stocks of wheat per bushel. That means that if a bushel is worth $8, then each stock is worth about 0.04 cents. So, you would need 2,500 wheat stocks to equal $1. Now that one bushel of wheat will yield approximately 42 pounds of white flour or 60 pounds of whole wheat flour. A bushel of wheat makes about 42 pounds of pasta or 210 servings of spaghetti. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. And in the United States, one acre of harvested land yields an average of around 45 to 50 bushels of wheat. So if you ever wondered how much one stock of wheat was worth, now you know. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. 
keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA Agriculture of America, brought to you by Cenex, Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, everyday products powered locally. That's Cenex. Well, right now, we want to turn our attention to the meat demand monitor, the MDM put out by Kansas State University, looking at the September numbers. Joining us to do that, we welcome back to the show, Dr. Glenn Tonsor with Kansas State University. And uh, Glenn, great to have you back on the program with us. I know you've been traveling. Uh, hopefully, you're not too jet lagged. We appreciate you being with us here today. Oh, my pleasure, Jesse. Always happy to be on and share what we are able to share on the domestic demand front here. Yeah, well, let's talk about the uh, meat demand monitor for September. And I know a lot of this is uh, going to tie back to just the, the current economic environment here across the country. So uh, give us the headlines. What are the big things you saw with this month's MDM? Yeah, so you know, first kind of a summary of how strong demand was in September. And then maybe I'll do a little bit deeper dive on why that pattern's occurring. But in September versus August, uh, retail, so think grocery store for at-home meat demand, was actually up for five of the eight categories we tracked. Uh, and that includes ground beef, pork chops, bacon, and some of the major you know, beef and pork categories we monitor. And those values are actually a little bit above September of 22, which is good. Uh, it's been a while since we've been able to say much about year-over-year -year retail demand growth. Uh, conversely, the food service, so away from home, specifically dinner meal, uh, demand was down for all eight categories we tracked, and that includes ribeye steak, hamburger, pork chops, and several others. And they were down not only versus August, but also versus September of 22. And to put a bow around that, I think folks are continuing to tighten their financial, you know, their wallet and their belt, and mm -hmm. they're a little bit less foot traffic at restaurants. That's boosting some demand through the retail channel. And I think it's largely stemming from some macroeconomic uncertainty that, um, I'm happy to talk more about. Well, yeah, let's dive into that. I mean, when we think about the macroeconomic uncertainty, there's worry about interest rates continuing to climb from the Federal Reserve. We we see war breaking out in the Middle East. We have concerns about what's going on on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. And so to your point, it, it feels like there is a lot of nervousness and uncertainty amongst Americans uh, as to where this economy is going. And in turn, that seems to be an impact here as far as uh, meat demand and, and folks going to the restaurant or yep. whatever they're doing at the meat case. Glenn. Yep. And I think it's real important this time, Jesse, to timestamp you know, our statements. You know, I'm, I'm looking at information that was gathered throughout the month of September. Uh, the majority of our domestic shutdown discussion occurred during it, but towards the end, certainly the most recent Middle East disruptions have occurred after that and so forth. Right. So in, in many ways, I think the macroeconomic uncertainty and household discomfort has grown mm -hmm. since I stopped collecting the September data. You know, we're two, two weeks into October, so I'm trying to clarify for everybody. But regardless of that, in September of 23, the importance of price in your protein purchasing decisions was the second highest on record. And for our listeners, we started this project in February of 2020. It's beef and pork checkoff funded. Everything's on our agmanager.info website. More details are there. People are happy to email me. But in September of this year, we had the second highest importance of price. And by the way, the first highest was in February of 23. So both have happened here in 2023. That is pretty telling. 
you know, again, people are looking at value uh, even more than they were in the past. And value is more than just price, right? The taste and experience, so forth. But certainly what you pay for it is a component there. Mm-hmm. But the other statistic that really drives us home in my mind is in September, only 17% of the U.S. population said their household finances are better than a year ago than compared to September 22. 45% said they're the same, but a full 38%, so over a third of the population, say their finances have gotten worse. That's some net effect of you know wages not keeping up with cost of living and inflation, probably this broader uncertainty on, you know, if you have a variable rate uh, you know, mortgage, sign the new mortgage at a higher rate, maybe now you have credit card debt, you know, all those kind of things differ by household. Mm-hmm. But the net across our households is certainly the majority feel like and the revealing. They're concerned about their finances. And I hope you heard my time stamping comment is it's pretty hard for me to see how that's gotten better in the last two weeks. No, and I'm glad you timestamped that. I apologize. I kind of jumped ahead of you in the time machine oh, no there worries. a little no, bit. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, I'm glad you framed that up for us that way. Uh, when you look at the September numbers here, uh, Glenn, beef, pork, chicken, w- was there one or the other that was maybe that maybe performed better? Or was everything pretty equal? Did you guys look at some of those uh, breakdowns? Yes. And again, we do it by channel. The story is a little different by channel, but when we look within retail, so for at home, um, both the pork categories we monitor as well as chicken breast and ground beef all had demand that was stronger than in August, but ribeye steak did not. So beef is a mixed story. There's a reason I can clarify that. When we flip over to food service, actually all the major proteins demand was lower than the month before. And that's why, you know, my, my thesis here is, this isn't a beef quality issue or a pork quality issue or anything like that. Rather, it's a broader, you know, affordability, you know, my comfortable spending money kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my advice to the beef or pork industries, uh, either individually or collectively, is very different if there's an image issue or if we had some kind of safety concerns or things like that, because those are in the wheelhouse of things you can, you know, have some influence on. But nobody can influence the U.S. dollar exchange rate, right? If you're a beef producer. Sure. Or if you're a hog producer, you're not going to influence, you know, credit card rates and so forth, right? Those macroeconomic forces are well beyond anything within the industry's influence. And that makes it extra frustrating, by the way. But I think nonetheless, it's important to keep that in mind because I, at the end of the day, I always encourage us all to focus on things that we have some influence on. And unfortunately, I think the majority of our domestic meat demand challenges currently are tied to things that nobody in the beef or pork industry have much influence on. We're having a conversation today with Dr. Glenn Tonsor from Kansas State University talking about the September monthly um, meat demand monitor, the MDM, and you can find the details at agmanager.info. Glenn, uh, looking through the September report, I I noticed a section in there about meat knowledge and personal diet. Uh, Can you talk about that a little bit for us? I'm curious uh, what some of those results were. Yeah, so some of this is not new, but nonetheless, it's sort of good that it's not new. So there's a lot of discussion in the media about flexitarian and then vegan and vegetarian. So either meat reducer or total you know, removal of meat from your diet. Uh, we do not see strong patterns of that over time. You know, I reminded people earlier, we started this in February of 2020. There is not a strong growth in those alternative demand patterns compared to regular meat consumers. Uh, specifically in September of 23, 76% indicate that they regularly consume meat. Um, in their, their diet, and an additional 10% identifies flexitarians. So they're also meat consumers, just maybe not necessarily in you know three meals a day, seven days a week. So the lion's share of consumers, residents, excuse me, in the U.S. remain regular meat consumers is the point. 
Uh, as, as it relates to knowledge, we have some simple yes, no kind of questions we ask every month. And there's pretty wide recognition of the role of USDA's Food Safety Inspection Service um, and the role of cooking temperature and knowing if your products are done, which is great. Mm -hmm. uh, both are a safety cue and then you know the latter is an eating experience cue as well. Um, but there's some more work to be done on knowledge on beef quality grades and uh, pork color. So it's kind of a mixed bag on the status. You know, there's some additional education opportunities on those last two. And I know as well, kind of tied in with that, uh, still a lot of folks are researching about plant-based proteins and high-protein diets as well, aren't they? Yes. So what you're alluding to there is, you know, we just have this general, you know, how aware are you or how important are these topics to you? And there remains a lot of interest in high-protein diets and alternative protein diets. I suspect for some, those are synonymous, but not for all. Um, I'm making that interjection because Justin Bean is a PhD student that works with me on a lot of these MDM issues here at K-State. And, you know, he's doing deep dives into the role of exercise and intentional protein consumption to help you meet your personal fitness. Think weightlifting and, you know, ongoing anaerobic and aerobic exercise. That aligns with the high protein diet is why I'm highlighting that. Um, and I'd be remiss if I didn't interject that because there's a sizable share of our population, particularly those younger than me. And for your audience, I'm 43. Uh, where there's intentional consumption of meat protein to help meet their personal fitness goals because they're trying to be extra active. So that all fits into that, you know, interest in a high protein diet discussion. Glenn, before we let you go, uh, final thoughts here. We have about a minute. Anything else you'd want to share about this month's MDM? Um, you know, it's more of the same on macroeconomic concerns. I mean, that would be the summary. I hope re retail demand holds up, you know, as the weather turns, we slip away from grilling. Uh, that's definitely worth watching. And to keep it light for everybody, you know, it's college football season. Those that are listening to this that are wearing a purple shirt, help me cheer for the Cats this weekend. <laughs> well, we do appreciate the time. It is college football season and uh, NFL season, too. So uh, football's back and high school, too, has been ongoing for quite some time. So a lot of, a lot of football to consume. And folks can uh, take a look at the latest meat demand monitor online. They could consume that data at agmanager dot info we've been talking with dr glenn tonsor from kansas state university and uh glenn appreciate the time as always we'll talk to you next month when we get the new updated october numbers thanks so much for joining us today sounds great jesse and coming up next here on aoa brought to you by cenex premium diesel a diesel that doesn't mess around we'll talk with the new president of the national corn growers association harold woolley that's next here on aoa So how's harvest? Higher yield potential starts with the season-long systemic disease protection of Zyway brand fungicides from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides protect corn crops from key foliar diseases and support physiological benefits that help develop healthier, higher yielding corn for a difference you'll appreciate at harvest. Visit your FMC retailer for an at-plant advantage. Always read and follow all label directions. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more.
You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. The grains and oil seeds are mixed this morning after yesterday's WASDE report. Corn and beans are down a few pennies. Wheat is up with Chicago leading the way there. Livestock is also mixed with feeders lower, fats and hogs mixed. Now, money flowed broadly into the grain and oil seed sector yesterday following the release of USDA's WASDE report. The agency cut corn and soybean yield estimates a bit more than expected, while also cutting demand for both as well. However, it also increased crush for soybean modestly, drawing attention to the fact that domestic soybean demand will be difficult to ration this year. Now, that leaves projected surplus soybean stocks at a tight 5.3% of usage for the current year, leaving little margin for additional yield cuts. The agency has cut its soybean yield in both the September and October crop reports six times in the past 30 years, and five times out of those six times, it followed with another reduction in the November report, average decline being about half a bushel per acre. That would further tighten supplies, requiring more reductions in exports. Short covering turned into momentum buying by the algos with corn and then wheat joining into the positive money flow. Wheat also found support from Chinese buying that could help tighten its balance sheet a bit more in the months ahead, but corn and wheat are still both amply supplied. Crude oil prices are surging today with the U.S. tightening sanctions on Russian crude oil exports, adding to previous concerns that the escalating Middle East conflict could negatively impact shipments. The U.S. imposed sanctions yesterday on owners of tankers carrying Russian oil above the G7's price cap. That price cap was set at $60 as the West attempted to limit revenue going to Russia to fund its war on Ukraine. Now, traders are fearing that the increased sanctions may reduce supplies coming from the world's second largest exporter of crude oil, leading to tighter global inventories. That comes as OPEC forecasts a drop in crude stockpiles of 3 million barrels per day in the current quarter, assuming that there are no additional reductions resulting from the Middle East conflict. You're listening to AOA for the the American Egg Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And thanks for staying with us here today on AOA Agriculture of America. Jesse Allen back with you here in today's program, of course, brought to you by our good friends at Cenex. Your local Cenex is just around the quarter. Everyday products, including premium diesel and lubricants, everything powered locally by Cenex. Find your nearest Cenex location online by going to Cenex.com. All right, well, right now, uh, I've had a few conversations with our next guest before, but I have not talked to him as the current president 
of the National Corn Growers Association. We're going to change that, and we're going to do that right now. Joining us now, he is, in fact, the new president of the NCGA, Minnesota farmer Harold Woolley is with us on AOA. Harold, it's great to talk with you again. And uh, first off, congratulations on taking over as president of the NCGA. I hope you're doing well. Uh, good morning, Jesse. Uh, I am doing well. It's going to be an exciting year. Well, Harold, let's uh, first off, before we get into your priorities and more as uh, president, I'd just love an update on how harvest is going there on your farm and around you there in uh, Minnesota. How are things progressing? I'm sure uh, this rain here at the end of uh, end of the week, not uh, not conducive to continued harvest activity, but uh, how have things been going so far? You know, it's been a real good harvest so far in south central Minnesota. A lot of soybeans have been harvested. You know, we haven't got them all in the bin yet, but uh, we're making very good progress. And soybeans have been yielding above expectations. So one of the surprises of an interesting production year. And uh, a lot of folks are are done with soybeans and have started on corn. We ourselves on our farm have uh, been harvesting corn for a couple days. And you're right, the rain shut us down. We did not uh, get any harvesting done yesterday. Won't be anything done today. And uh, I had two inches of gauge, so it's going to be a couple days before we get back out there. Well, that uh, rain, no doubt, will help with some of the dry soils, I'm sure, around much of the Midwest. So it gives gives folks a little bit of a break, at least here uh, in the harvest season, whether they whether they want to or not, I would say in some cases. All right, Harold, let's talk about uh, your role as president of the National Corn Growers Association. And I know you've kind of shaped your theme as shaping the future. So talk about that a little bit. What are some of the big things that that you want to accomplish as the president of the NCGA? Well, you know, of immediate importance is the farm bill that expired last month. And, uh, you know, the House is rather uh, non-functional right at the moment. So I hope uh, and pray that they can get themselves there in order, uh, get a new speaker elected and and move on through some of the things that they need to accomplish so that they can work on this farm bill yet this year. You know, it, it, if we're going to make any of the improvements that we need to make to the farm bill, it needs to be done this year. You know, if, if not, I, uh, I think we're looking at an extension. And if we simply extend the 2018 farm bill, we won't have the opportunity to make any improvements. Yeah, and I know with everything going on in the House, uh, we talked about that earlier in the program uh, with Jerry Hagstrom. Uh, it just feels like uh, such paralysis and gridlock right now. And to your point, um, trying to get a farm bill done, we still got to get ag appropriations done and, and more. And um, it's you know seeming like a one-year extension is probably going to happen, but hopefully we can get something done by the end of the year. I think to your points, a lot of folks would – and agriculture would be thrilled to see that happen if we can get out of the gridlock in D.C., Harold. Well, I'm certainly going to be advocating that we work on this farm bill and, and get a new one passed yet this year. Uh, you know, we And we have champions in, champions of agriculture in Congress, and they want to see it done, too. You know, mm-hmm. the House Ag Committee Chairman, G.T. Thompson, has been out around the countryside a ton in the past year holding uh, field hearings 
on the farm bill and he wants to get it done. I, I know everyone that's involved in leadership on the on the House and Senate Ag Committees want to see a new farm bill done. So, uh, you know, we just need uh, those folks to, to put their uh, shoulder to the wheel and get to work and get to the point where we can get it passed. Harold, I know as well, there is a lot of talk here this past uh, year so far about uh, ethanol, biofuels, and uh, sustainable aviation fuel. And I know that there's uh, different bills going uh, through Congress, like the Next Generation Fuels Act and more, uh, looking to support some of that. Uh, talk about that a little bit. Is that something that is a big push for you here when it comes to uh, corn as a feedstock for some of these new sustainable biofuels? You're right, Jesse. Uh, you know, demand creation is very important. But we're looking at, when we look at the balance sheet, we're looking at a 2 billion bushel plus carryover next summer. So we need to do everything we can to increase the demand for corn. And, you know, it basically falls into three categories, uh, livestock, feed, ethanol use, and exports. So uh, on the ethanol uh, front, you know, a number of things that need to happen there. We need to get the law changed so that E15 unleaded 88 can be marketed year-round. Now, I'm not sure that our current system where we're getting presidential waivers through the summer to allow us to, to market E15, I don't think that's sustainable. We need that law to be changed. And and we have our champions uh, for ethanol in Congress, and and they're working. You know, there's a few hurdles that that need to be need to be crossed, but we can get that accomplished. And it needs to be, you know, on the docket soon. You know, summer is coming, mm -hmm. and it it seems like uh, time slips away, and so we're emphasizing that. Yes, uh, you know, then the next issue is the Next Generation Fuels Act, which paves the way for higher blends of ethanol, allows the car engine manufacturers to build those engines that can use the octane in higher blends. You know, small displacement, high compression, turbocharged engines need high octane fuel. Uh, higher blends of ethanol can provide that. Uh, and then, you know, out a little bit farther is sustainable aviation fuel. You know, mm -hmm. the, the aviation industry is a huge contributor of carbon to the atmosphere. They, they want to, they need to reduce that. And they can do that with sustainable aviation fuel that's made from ethanol. You know, the, the phrase we use is ethanol to jet. Well, there's some hurdles that need to be crossed there, too. Our ethanol plants need to have the lowest carbon intensity score that they can get. Uh, a number of different ways that they can work on that. You know, uh, mm -hmm. sequestering carbon with uh, with a pipeline is is one way. Uh, and then we on our farms need to work on on sequestering carbon too. If we can, mm -hmm. we can help get that carbon intensity score down by the practices that we use on our farms. So a lot going on there. Definitely a lot going on there. We're talking with the president of the National Corn Growers Association, Harold Woolley from Minnesota. Harold, I, I should ask as well, I, I know it's kind of been a lull as far as the uh, uh, latest news regarding the U.S.-Mexico trade dispute over corn. 
do you have any updates to share with us there? Has there been any movement? Where are we at as far as that whole process right now? You know, that U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement has some rather cumbersome rules attached to it. It wasn't designed to uh, efficiently and expediently resolve disputes, but it does have a dispute settlement process. And so the U.S. Trade Representative's office is working its way through that process, and I believe they are in the stage where they appoint the members to the dispute settlement panel. So, uh, you know, we're, we're looking for that to happen, uh, the, the dispute settlement panel to come to some sort of a conclusion next year at some point. So uh, a lot riding on that. You know, Mexico is our number one export destination for a variety of reasons. And we have the transportation system in place, our railroads run right down to where the the livestock industry is that needs to consume our corn in Mexico. Those livestock producers want our corn, they need our corn, and they they accept that our corn is scientifically proven to be very very healthy. There's nothing wrong with our corn. So uh, we need to see that dispute uh, settled and the doors be open for our exports to Mexico. Well, Harold, I know a lot of excitement uh, in the corn industry, plenty of challenges ahead, but it sounds like uh, with your experience and uh, your role with NCGA, you're uh, you're ready for a, a busy but successful year ahead, aren't you? Well, there's plenty of opportunities for success. Uh, we've, Like you said, we have our challenges, but uh, we're working on them. We, uh, we need to keep working to shape our future so that, so that we have some positive outcomes. Well, folks can stay up to date with everything going on with the National Corn Growers Association very easily online, ncga.com, and follow them on social media and more. We've been talking today with Harold Woolley, the president of the National Corn Growers Association. Harold, always appreciate a conversation with you, sir. Thanks so much for joining us on Agriculture of America today, and I know we'll be talking to you again real soon. Thanks so much. I look forward to it, Jesse. Bye now. Harold Woolley there, president of the NCGA, joining us here on AOA Today. Well, and Harold alluded to it a little bit there. We got uh, the balance sheets uh, for corn and soybeans and wheat. Things got updated on Thursday with the release of the October WASDE report. We're going to uh, talk about that report and get market perspective up next with Christy Van On. She sits with Van On and Company here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. We'll be back with more here on AOA right after this. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. 
Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference bite by bite. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. It's National Co-op Month. Today, we're talking with Megan Woolley, Senior Director of Stewardship with CHS, about how CHS and the cooperative system supports youth to develop the next generation of ag leaders. Megan, why is it important to educate the next generation about cooperatives? Yeah, thanks, Jesse. So as the largest farmer-owned cooperative in North America, we're pretty strong believers in the cooperative business model. And we think it's critical that students understand its benefits to ensure that strong cooperative system going forward. So we see this as an important way for us to build both talent pipelines for agricultural cooperatives and also to plant that seed for future cooperative members to participate in the system. Well, how does CHS and the CHS Foundation support cooperative education? Our cooperative ed program has been around for 60 years, so we certainly have a strong commitment to this area. We've supported farmers' unions, cooperative education efforts at both the national and the state levels for decades. Uh, this often looks like a summer camp or an educational cohort. And more recently, we've supported partners in developing online curriculum for teachers so they can help educate students in their classrooms across the U.S. on the importance of cooperatives. Together with our partners, we've introduced more than 150,000 students to the power of co-ops since just 2020. Fantastic. Well, we've been talking today with Megan Woolley, Senior Director of Stewardship with CHS, about how CHS and the cooperative system supports youth to develop the next generation of ag leaders. Megan, thanks so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And thank you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran.
Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. Information America's farmers and ranchers need. AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. And right now, we want to get a recap of the October WASD report that came out from USDA on Thursday. And uh, those numbers showed uh, lower U.S. corn and soybean production, among other things. Here to give us perspective of the report and the market reaction, Christy Van On, she says, with Van On and Company joins us here on AOA today. Christy, great to have you on the program. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, you too. It's always fun to come on. Well, let's dive into these numbers and uh, very interesting numbers. It sent the soy market skyrocketing on Thursday, but then you look at Friday's trade action and seeing a little bit of uh, profit taking here. And I know we'll get into that in a second, but overall, uh, just with October WASD numbers, what stood out to you, the biggest things you saw? Yeah, I think the obvious that we're going to see time and time again is that we have a lot of corn on hand. Um, the carryout is very large. It's very comparative to what we kind of went through from uh, 2016, 17, and 18. And we just seem to not be able to get under 2 billion bushel carryout in that time frame. And you can even lump it in with 1920. We ended up with a 1.9 carryout then. So those four years have a similar carryout structure as we have right now. And those four years, your post-harvest highs were, you know, low fours, mid fours. And so we mm -hmm. need to kind of look at this dynamic and you're going to get that talk on inflation. It's, it's, it's much different than it is back then. But, you know, when you look at the grain markets, it isn't always about inflation. It's also about supply and demand. And we have a lot of corn on hand right now. And I do think that corn has shown some good signs over the last two weeks to try and dig out of this hole. And seasonally, October is supposed to be very friendly to this market. But we need to be aware of the bigger picture here that there's a lot of corn. Not only is there a lot of corn, you're looking at a market that has still built in almost 400 million bushel of higher exports year over year. And uh, the ethanol is much higher as well. I think ethanol has been profitable. That's very good to see. But you're also looking at feed use that's a lot higher too. Mm -hmm. um, and all of those, when you kind of put them in together, we just have a lot of demand built in that's maybe not all that justified, especially for exports. And I think that's one thing we need to be looking at this market is saying, corn can have its moment, but we need to be aware of kind of where this market stands. And we're seeing that right now at 499. This market just is stuck yeah. that it's finding these selling pressure. I think people that did marketing very well throughout the year don't mind selling at $5 on an average, you know, to, to average out their sales. So I don't think they're all that worried. And it just seems like they're here to sell. We got to 499 here a while back, but not through it. So all contracts didn't fill. And, you know, even overnight got to 498 and three quarters. And it's just been a stickler to be able to get through it. 
And it's just mm -hmm. a justification. Yes, we got lower carryouts out of this report. So yesterday's report uh, had a friendly reaction to it. But overall, the report itself wasn't all that friendly. The numbers for corn, yes, they were lower, but they're not friendly numbers whatsoever. The wheat number grew here for domestic wheat. And then when you look at the soybean number, that's the same number we've been dealing with for a while. Where it came in friendly is people are expecting it to grow because of higher stocks, but we got that yield decrease. And so one concern I have moving forward when you talk yeah. about yield is that I really have not heard many people tell me that their corn yield is worse than expected. Now, expectations sure. are not great. Um, this is not saying they have a bumper crop, but majority of people are pleasantly surprised when they get out in the cornfield and are ending up with, with some more than they thought. Well, and Christy, uh, to your points as well, that soybean number the same, and you, you hit this on the head. I mean, corn, these corn cannot get past $5 for so to speak, you know, four ninety nine. Novi beans can't get above thirteen. It just feels like anytime we go and test these overhead levels, we just immediately see profit taking in the market. Yeah, it's been tough to be a long trader here on a Friday over the last like two months. Fridays are not your friend if you want to be long these markets. We find selling pressure a lot of these these days, and uh, right now, kind of that same situation, like you said. Twelve ninety nine is that level that's the same as corn, and we just cannot get through it. And I think you're also in that same predicament. Yesterday we hit twelve ninety nine and three quarters. That you're looking at this market, and you have guys sitting here and being like, "Okay, I have more corn on hand than I expected. I have more bushels on hand than I expected. Um, if I'm going to sell one and not store one, what is that going to be?" And I think the logic behind many people right now is just to sell out some beans. Beans aren't fun to store. I don't have a lot of producers that love to be storing beans. Uh, storage costs on beans are getting pretty hefty with interest rates and carry. That's not surprising to see. Um, you're looking at anywhere from, you know, eight to 10 cents a month for uh, paying delayed pricing at the elevator. And that adds mm -hmm. up real quick. So I think $12.99 was a level that many thought that they could be okay selling that market. And so you see that we also need to remember for soybeans that managed money has been liquidators and are aggressively short corn and wheat. They are not quite there yet on beans. And so they have the room to be selling beans if they really want to. Christy, uh, final thoughts for us here. Got about a minute. Uh, I mean, as you assess corn, beans, and wheat too, uh, what do you want to remind folks here as they kind of take stock of their marketing plan now that we have uh, more USDA numbers uh, at our disposal? Yeah, I, you know, I definitely don't want to sound like a broker here. That's not my goal, but I would say that. Uh, being aggressive on marketing is probably going to be your friend over the next three months. And if you really want to still have your foot in the door, call options, especially for the corn market, are really, really cheap right now. So I think that's where you need to utilize. I do think that I'm also on the friendly side for basis opportunities through you know, this late November into January timeframe because I feel like producers are going to shut that door, that bin door, and they're going to look at these prices and say, it's not worth selling right now. I just got it in there. Let's let it sit and see if something happens. So I would say that encourage to look at those marketing and really like you saw overnight, these spike highs, we're already 24 cents off the high for beans. We're already seven cents off the high for corn from the overnight. Work those orders at your elevator, get some selling targets in that you're comfortable with and get them working. So then in the middle of the night, when we see these spikes that we typically do, uh, you're not going mm -hmm. to wake up and say, I missed out on that opportunity. 
Well, I know folks can find more information and contact uh, you and your team at vanonco.com. Christy Van On, she's with Van On and Company. Thanks for joining us on AOA today. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. Thanks, Jesse. All right, we're out of time here on AOA today. Brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. Thanks for joining us on Agriculture of America. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a fantastic rest of your day. On the October episode of the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association, we continued our discussion about sustainable aviation fuel. Sarah McKay from National Corn Growers Association talks about some of the work they are doing on the policy side. We worked really closely with policymakers to make sure that tax credits that are available are available to help promote corn ethanol to be used for these processes, and in particular, the adoption of the GREAT model as the carbon accounting method to help bring these technologies and, and bring these opportunities closer to the marketplace. Lindsay Bowers with NCGA's Market Development Action Team provides some of the farmer and grain merchandiser perspective to SAF and corn. From farmer and merchandiser point of view, market development is huge and significantly impactful for what it can mean for agriculture. Getting it to the point where it's consistently and reliably used, it's a game changer. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association. It's a show you don't want to miss. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org.